So Money Episode 603, Susie Moore, creator of the Side Hustle Academy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Would you ever walk away from a job that paid you half a million dollars a year? And, you know, it's not a job that you hate. It's a job that you don't mind, but it's not your passion. Susie Moore did just that, and she's joining us today. She left her job not too long ago and has created since a brilliant, brilliant business called Side Hustle Academy for all those people who want to follow her in her footsteps. If you want to take up a side hustle, but not sure where to start, not sure if you have the time, Susie, Susie to the rescue. In addition to being a life coach, Susie Moore is the best-selling author of What If It Does Work Out? Susie stopped going to school after age 18 and went on to climb the corporate ladder, making her way to sales director at a Fortune 500 company. She helped build three startups where the most recent one sold for $400 million, and now she runs a six-figure coaching business. Susie's hilarious delightful, kind, and smart. We talk about how to discover your best side hustle. What's easy for you is amazing for others, says Susie. Growing up on welfare and how that has impacted Susie's relationship with money today and how she managed to change a particular policy at her school growing up that perhaps helped so many kids and their relationship with money. Here's Susie Moore. Susie Moore, welcome to So Money, my new friend. Farnoosh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I was, uh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you accepted the invitation. I was joking before we went on the air that I feel like I've seen you more in the last four weeks than probably my husband. We've been so busy <laughs> on the home front because I've been going out mm-hmm. and running into you a lot. I know. The universe keeps bringing us together in all these kind of little different ways. It's awesome. I love it. It's like we were meant to be friends and we just got to know each other. And I've been fascinated to you know, go deep with you a little bit because I, I at these dinners that we run into each other or these conferences, these events, like I get snippets of Susie and I wanted to really go deep with you. I think you have a really interesting journey. You're a delightful person. You have a lot of great oh, energy. And I thought, what a great gift to this audience. Let's bring you on the show. Yes. Let, let's start with your big decision that you made, uh, I don't even know how long ago, you you decided to walk away from a job that was paying you half a million dollars a year. Yes. Was it that bad? <laughs> it's funny, actually. Um, I actually liked my job. I mean, I think like a lot of people out there, we, you know, we go to work, we show up, we don't eat. It's almost autopilot for us. We don't even think about the work we're doing or really think so far ahead. But I was in, you know, sales, like corporate sales for over a decade. And it was around when I turned 30. I started to just feel pretty restless. And the work that I was doing was, was fun, but I knew it wasn't my life's work. And I just really couldn't shake this feeling of, um, of just not being satisfied. And I, at that time, I really wished I could be, I was, I thought to myself, why can't I just be happy with this job? Why can't I just be happy with what I have? Um, but you know, your intuition, your, you know, your, your, the, the, your inner guidance system knows what it wants. And so that's when I started side hustling and really started a business on the side of my job, uh, to kind of explore what else would, 
you know, could be out there for me and what could be really feasible for me. And once that started ramping, I just thought, you know, how risky is taking a risk? You can often just correct, you know, a big decision if you're not happy with it. And I decided just to go all out on my own. What was the side hustle? So I was working in corporate sales, which is really cool. Um, but I also knew I had a bit of an age expiration, uh, just being an advertising and sales in general. So I wanted to do something that I knew I could do long term that would really satisfy and fulfill me. So I started going to NYU studying life coaching at the weekends. Um, it was like a Saturday, Sunday program. And I just started getting clients literally from week one. I started putting it out there, the work that I was doing, that I was working with people one on one at a very special price. And I started writing. And so I, I started generating a really consistent stream of one-on-one clients and it just naturally organically went from there. All right. Wow. Life coaching. There are a lot of life coaches out there. Did you feel like you were one in a billion when you were doing it? And like, how did you make <laughs> your name out? How'd you get your name out there? Yeah, there are plenty of life coaches, even just in New York. I mean, I actually did a survey once to see how many, or I, I was looking at the statistic and there, there are thousands. So what I did, and this is a kind of an angle that I like to teach a lot of my side hustlers, is I, I speak a lot about writing, being a contributor and, you know, sharing, not selling. So if you're an in an advice-based business, which many life coaches are, depending on your niche. If you start writing, start, and I started writing for Marie Claire, for Mind Body Green, for Huffington Post. Um, so people could find out about me and I could attract them that way. And I could get a lot of leverage out of a column, out of a piece that was shared. And I would always encourage people to, to reach out to book a one-on-one discovery call with me, just by putting out a lot of, a lot of content that I thought would resonate with the audience I was looking to reach. Yeah. And of course, getting in Mary Claire and these other magazines gives you the credibility that's right. that mm-hmm. can, can really impress a new client. And that's nice. You gave them something for free at first. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, free trial. If you don't like it, no, nothing's lost except that's- for your time. <laughs> that's that's right. And also I think, you know, by putting out content, people already know whether or not they like you because you mm-hmm. have a, a thought piece on something. I mean, life coaching, you know, you know, life-based advice, it's very general. So if you like what someone has to say or their opinion or point of view or story, then you can already make a judgment call based on, you know, reading 800 or a thousand words, whether or not you're probably going to like working with somebody. So I thought putting it out there would kind of cut out the noise of the people who weren't for me and attract the right people to me at scale, just given how you know, when you're a life coach, you can coach people all over the world. And of course, the internet is international. And yes. so there's really no limit to who you can reach. What do you like giving advice on the most? So mm-hmm. you say life advice. I mean, there's everything and anything that falls under that. Mm-hmm. Romance, career, yep. um, health. What's, what's your forte? So the areas that I particularly like to write about is being confident, being assertive at work, uh, being uh, how to give, uh, I write a lot about how to ask for what you want. That's an area that I know a lot of women struggle, particularly um, because my background also was in recruitment. I gave advice on negotiating and how to uh, get a salary increase, how to open up a career acceleration dialogue, um, lots of different things, but they always kind of tended to veer towards career. And then increasingly, as people saw the work that I was doing with the background that I had, people started asking me about how I left my job. And so that's really the organic nature of how I I created my program because people were coming to me consistently more and more for this one thing, wanting out of their corporate job, thinking, you know, is there yes, another and that way? Program. Yes. And that program is called Side Hustle Academy. That's right. Yes. Right <laughs> so about I, that a little bit. Tell me about that. 
So Side Hustle Academy was born basically out of demand because I found myself teaching the same principles over and over one-on-one and in groups. And it's essentially a six-week program online, super simple. You can do it at your own pace. And essentially, I go through four key modules, which is the foundation of your side hustle, the feasibility of your side hustle, financial success, and future proofing. And I also include a couple of experts in the training too. One called Almost Famous, which is from an editor about how to get published. And another is called Sparkle on Social about how to really use and leverage social media so you don't waste time, but you attract clients with intentional posting online. All right. Side hustle. I mean, this is something that is not going away, right? Right. I mean, I mean, I was, yeah, funny. It, it's trending so much. I mean, I see new podcasts, new books, new columnists, new articles about this all the time. And even Google Trends said that there's like a 7,000% increase in the search of side hustle as an expression. So people are very curious about it because I think there's certainly a hunger to be satisfied outside of our work or our day job. So you going back to what you said, you said you were 30, you weren't happy, you wanted to be happy. Mm-hmm. So you switched careers. But was that it? I mean, was there other were there other factors that had to change? Because sometimes you think like, if I change my job, I'll be happy. If mm. I quit my job, I'll be happy. But maybe there are underlying things that are making you happy. What did you find in that self-exploration? Well, I think too, some people are just naturally are cut out for working for themselves. And if you put an entrepreneur in a cubicle, they can survive for a while and be happy, especially if the money's great and the people are great and the parks are great. And there are certainly lots of great jobs out there. But if it's not really the right fit for you, there is a lot of dis, like discontentment that just naturally occurs for you, especially over time and it gets worse. So for me, I mean, being a coach and having done a lot of inner work just you know, throughout my life, I really felt clear that this was something that, that had to shift. Otherwise, I knew I'd be miserable like year over year if nothing would change. So a risk, I mean, I think people have a bit of an odd view of risk-taking sometimes. Often, with the exception of a couple of things, most decisions that you make could be robust, right? So the way that I thought about it was, if I leave this job and I work for myself and I hate it or I make no money or people don't want to work with me or something goes wrong, the worst that can happen is I'll end up exactly where I am right now, just probably in another company, right? So I just, I the risk analysis in my mind was that it was actually pretty safe, but the upside of the risk was potentially massive. And that was, you know, this year will be three years ago. So it's, I, I still consider it the best decision I've ever made. And I really encourage people to, you know, th- this side hustle business, it's really popular for a reason because you get started with, and, you, and you're totally hedged. There is absolutely no risk of starting a side hustle at all, apart from some of your time. Right. It's part of maybe saying, oh, okay, this wasn't for me, but trying something new. For me, I, I had a, I had so many side hustles yeah. in my 20s. I pet sat. Babysitting was probably my best side hustle, not only because it taught me how to take care of kids and it paid pretty well, but these kids would be in bed tucked in by like 730. Awesome. And so and mom and dad didn't get home until like midnight. So I had four or five hours while I was getting paid. Oh, have my laptop and I would just write my book. And that was my first book. And then that book took off and it became very much a platform for me, which allowed me to be who I am today. So thank you, babysitting, because you've made me to the <laughs> woman I am today in many ways. But also, that, that's your creative thinking. A lot of people would think, no, I have to be at home. I have to be in my own bedroom. I need my own internet connection. I'm, an, I'm not a night person. I'm, I need my okay. beauty sleep. I'm like, I'm 25. I got my whole life to sleep. <laughs> Exactly. So it, it, see, there, there are so many ways to make money, like, especially if, you, if your mind is open and you just like open your eyes, like something like that. That's such a great revenue stream. And you're working while you're doing it, getting paid to write your book. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier about like really being able to recognize opportunities. It's it is something you have to really use all your six senses to recognize sometimes Mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, you're it's like, you know, you can talk yourself out of anything Mm -hmm. and you just have to be able to remember what is my goal? What is my end game? Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that I can leverage this that may not seem so apparent right now? Mm -hmm. You know, yes, it's going to mean hours out of your day, but maybe there's a way to through this. You can meet new people. You can, I don't know, you can reinvest the money into something that you want to study or learn. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to slice and dice it. So, yep, I have, I'm, I'm funny. I have to say, I think what most people do is they overlook their skills. They often just discount them. This is, you know, why imposter syndrome is so, um, you know, so dangerous. But I love what Derek Sivers says, the author. He says that what's easy for you is amazing to others. Right. Yeah. So sometimes we don't see the opportunities because we don't think that what we're doing is special or what we, what we can do is special, what we bring to the world is special. So we just overlook our capabilities so much. Yeah, I think part I feel like that sometimes too when I give advice on like how to connect with media and mm-hmm. I do it all the time. And you know why I think I feel like it's nothing special is because I hang out with other media people. So when we're in conversation, mm-hmm. we don't think we're not exchanging anything that we think is really super valuable because like mm-hmm. we're talking shop, we are in the shop, we know everything about it. Yeah. Um. So in my world, most of the time, it's not anything that comes across as, wow, I didn't know that. And yeah. so I don't share it as much with strangers because I'm like, I just, in my head, I'm thinking it's nothing special. Um, it is so special. I mean, I, just being on a panel with you, you said something and today I tried to remember what it was. It was something like, why it's you? so memorable. It was, it was three things. It was like, why you, this, and it was- Oh, who cares? So what? Why you? When you're thinking of writing a book, and this is, I, I, I stole this from Heidi Krupp, who is a- mm-hmm publicist, my old publicist for the book. She and she represents Tony Robbins and she's taken a lot of authors to bestseller status. Awesome. Her first approach to any author explaining their book idea is okay, let's stop the synopsis. Let's but you need to answer these three things about your book. Who cares? In mm-hmm. other words, you know, who's your audience? Mm-hmm. So what? So what's the big deal about your book? Like, so you want to write about X, what makes it great? What makes it different? What makes it compelling? And then um, why you? Very important because a lot of people could write about similar things, but what ultimately sells that idea is the person behind it. Yes. Yes. So funny. Like you said, I mean, you're just, you know, reeling off these great things on this panel. And even I, you know, also who, you know, I like to write and I like to pitch media. I mean, the, I, I get great nuggets from you massively. Oh, so thank you. Truly, truly. I, I was like, someone write that down for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about it today. But look, it just rolls off from you like in and out. Just you know, text don't... me whenever you can't remember a farnooshism. Oh, yeah. I need a farnooshism. Yeah. Everyone needs a farnooshism in their life. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have the podcast. Yay. I know. And I want it today. How cool. <laughs> thank you so much. I, this is why I love you. You're so full of compliments. You're very... You're, you're you're, you're great energy. So no wonder anybody wants to get coached by you. You're like a, you're just a, a delightful person. You make anyone feel good about themselves. Oh. You wrote a book called What If It Does Work Out? Yeah. Isn't that a, isn't that, <laughs> is that a good question? 
Isn't that a good question? I love it. Yeah. It's like, we never think of that. We never think of that. In fact, I always love to use it. I mean, because of course it's the title of my book. I always like to ask people the question generally in life because so often we ask the opposite, right? It's like, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? What if I F up? What if something, you know, someone doesn't like me? It's like, yeah, but what could the alternative be? And there's an old saying that, you know, there's enough people who tell it like it is. We can use a few more who tell it like it could be. Right? Oh, I like that. And I just feel like, you know, that there has to be people in this world who, who like to discover, to discover it, to, to talk about it, to hold that space for people to dream and to set goals and to think about possibility, to just dwell in the possibility because that's where all the good stuff gets done. It's a Susieism. Oh. <laughs> Susieism. I got to keep what up. What if it does work out? I love that. Yeah. It's such a great, it's all about mindset, right? You got to shift the way you think. Just 100%. almost like we got to get rid of some of the words we use. Yep. The language can sometimes be a barrier and it's also our perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked earlier about confidence. Mm-hmm. Would you say on a scale of one to 10, what is your financial confidence in your personal life? Financial confidence overall. So I came from nothing, right? So I grew up on welfare. My family really had nothing. Um, so, you know, money for me and, you know, walking away from a big, you know, a big salary is no light decision, right? It's not as if, ah, oh, you know, easy come, easy go. So I, you know, re- growing up with nothing, I feel very, um, I, I respect money. I don't throw it away. I like to think that I don't waste it. I'm very careful. Um, but the way that I look at money now is, you know, it's, it really is energy and there's always going to be more money. I like to have, I like to really almost have some, some safe mantras around it because money freaks people out. It's a big trigger for people. I have an affirmation that I use that Louis, that I took from Louise Hay. She says that money flows to me easily and effortlessly. So I like money it. flows to me easily and effortless. Effortless. I can't say it. <laughs> effortlessly. Yeah, that's her money mantra. So I like to, you know, be, feel like I'm constantly open to receiving and not blocked, not blocked opportunities, not like not blocked to kind of creative ways to make money. Um, but overall, when it comes to money, I want to. I, I feel in a place that I'm I'm sensible enough and I save enough and I have my rules enough with money that I don't have to think about it so much. And I think that's almost the purpose of it, right? We don't want to be consumed with money because it stops us doing our real work. Oh yeah. I remember when I first started working with a financial advisor, oh, she God. said, what's your <laughs> ultimate goal with yeah. your money? Yeah. And I said... <laughs> I want to not ever have to think about it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And when you hang out, was, fa- yep. When you hang out with yeah. financial advisors, it can make you crazy, right? Because they're all about the risk and they're all about the. And look, you you need that. You, you have to pay attention. You can't put your head in the sound. You need to know how much you have, where it is, if it's growing, what's working. But like you, I feel exactly the same. I want to be like I want it to be just good, so I can keep doing my thing. Exactly. Like I want to obviously have my systems in place. I'm going to check in, but I don't want to be up at night worrying. I don't want to be thinking, can I buy this purse? I'm not a shopaholic. So when I do buy something, I do sometimes splurge and I don't want to have to like feel remorseful or regretful or like hem and hot over it for eight months. Yes. Um, and then, you know, scarily buy it. I just, I want to be buy with confidence. And, mm-hmm. but before you can do that, you have to do all the boring and, and you know, <laughs> smart things like <laughs> setting true. up retirement and your investments and insurance and things like that. Yeah. I didn't know that about you that you were, I mean, I guess, why would I? It was something really like dinner conversation um, <laughs> yeah, across, exactly. and, and across the table too. We felt like we were sat next to each other. So it's like, it doesn't really come up naturally. But um, tell us about a memory growing up in childhood that really sticks out, that interesting memory that keeps coming back. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, one really does stick out for me is probably my earliest experience talking about money in a formal way. It was when I was a kid, I, I because in the UK, we were on social security, which is known as welfare in the US, which meant I had a free school lunch. And it was really embarrassing because uh, any, everyone who had a free school lunch, you didn't just get to go, walk up at the cafeteria, you know, get your sandwich and cookies and then sign your name like everybody else. You had to at the uh, recess time, go to the reception, get a pick up your lunch token, and then you had to, you know, go to the when, when you went for lunch. You then have to give your lunch token to the dinner lady, and sometimes there was like a new dinner lady who didn't know what the token was, and they'd be like, "What's with the token? Why aren't you signing?" And then you'd have to say, "Oh no, you know, my lunch is free." It's oh. And so it's really embarrassing and awful, right? Going through this free lunch experience, and I, I hated it so much that sometimes I either wouldn't eat lunch. Or I would wait until my friends had eaten so they wouldn't see me. I'd pretend I wasn't hungry or I'd pretend that I had something else to do. So I'd go at the very end so no one would see me with my lunch token. And then I know, I know. And for I'm so sorry that happened to you. That also happens in the U.S. or it did when I was growing up. I remember kids in my elementary school in the morning. We would do it in the morning uh, as we were like, we pledge allegiance. We do, uh, you know, roll uh Roll whatever, roll count. Mm-hmm. And then they go, okay, so Danny, June, Laura, and Michael, please come up and get your lunch cards. Oh. And I didn't know what that meant for a while. I thought, I had no idea because I didn't look at kids with dollar signs on their faces, you know, kids or like. Kids don't pay attention to that stuff. I don't pay it. I was in fourth or fifth grade. And I was like, does that mean they get like an extra cookie or something? Because yeah. I really, how do I get in on this? You know, like right. I, I thought it was actually a positive thing. Right. People don't know. People don't know unless you're one of the poor kids who has a token. And then you're like, Aww. oh. So, so I was sick of getting my token. And I thought if everybody else can just sign their name, why can't I just sign my name? And so at that point, I thought, you know, I'm going to call a meeting. <laughs> and I can't remember exactly how old I was. How I think, old were you? I think I was around 11. And, and I said, so in the UK, we call him a headmaster. He calls him a principal. But I called a meeting with the headmaster and um, <laughs> the, the, the receptionist. I love this. <laughs> his secretary, the receptionist put me in touch with the secretary. And she said, what would you like to speak to him about? And I, I said, you know, it's kind of personal. It's a personal business. And he saw me and I sat down and I was, you know, I was nervous, but in my heart, I kind of knew that what I was doing was the right thing, not just for me, but for all the other kids with the tokens. Oh my gosh. So I had this confidence about it. And I said to him, I explained the situation, everything I just told you. And I said, it's embarrassing. Sometimes I'm I'm not eating lunch and I'm not the only one. Why can't just the the kids with a token instead have, have have a page at the back that they sign just like everybody else, like on a different page or whatever. So it's easy for you guys with your system but we can just sign two and there's no difference. And he had no idea there was this token system. He didn't know. He was, he was uh, ashamed that it was this, this like stigma and he changed it. It was changed within two weeks. Good for you. Oh my God. That's such a great story. That's my money memory. Kids can really change the system. How about that? I think anyone can change it. It takes like one conversation, right? But it's like, it takes a little bit of courage, I guess, or even just thinking that something can be possible, but then something, something can be done at a young age. You were an 11 year old whistleblower before (laughs) you even knew it, but in the best and in the best kind of way, because you helped so many kids and Mm-hmm. I wish you had been at my school because I think that it's it's, it's just terrible to have to have kids go through that. And I know that in my schools growing up too, 
who paid for hot lunch versus brought in their lunch was also an economic divide. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know, but for me, for our school, like in our school, it was the usually the kids on the lower end of the economic scale that would buy lunch or get the free hot lunch. And then a lot of the well off kids would bring like their fancy brown bag lunch with like the Doritos and the and the Kool-Aid and like all the store bought junk Mm -hmm. that they're like and all and it was like who had the more snacks was like the more popular kid and mm-hmm. and we started to really create almost like an an economic identity for all of the kids based on lunchtime. Mm-hmm. The divides start young. Like it's something that you shouldn't think about, right? Like getting a lunch should be like a no brainer for a kid. So why can't it be that? It can be that. I mean, yeah. but, but these money kind of divides do start early unless you can kind of like do something. I guess. Wow, that's a fantastic story. I love it, love it, love it. Yay! That's my earliest money memory. That's for sure because I was terrified. <laughs> did, you, did you tell your fa- did you tell your family? I mean, obviously you must have. They must have found out. And must have been so proud. Yes, I did. I told my mom, and she's like, "Good." She's like, "Good." She's, You're worthy. She, I mean, w- the one thing that I liked about my family was my mom would always say, "Look, there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done anything wrong. You're just as good as everybody else." So I, 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 and she was like, that's a good thing. And she's like, do the other kids get to sign too? And I said, yes. And so she was happy with that. But it wasn't just me who bought the extra benefit. Yeah. 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 Money does not equate to self-worth. No, it doesn't. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that you left your half a million dollar a year job. <laughs> right, right. You were able to do that. Mm-hmm. See, it's all, it all goes back to your conditioning and your mindset as a kid. Like it doesn't escape us. It doesn't escape us. I think, you know, at our core money is, you know, we're in a material world and it's our currency, but there are things that are deeper than that. You know, there are things, like you said, you don't want to think about money all the time. It's certainly what we need. We need everything to be functional and having more money is better than less money, but it's not the most important thing. So what's important to you? I think the most important thing to me is being able to be myself. And I think that people feel like they can't be themselves a lot, a lot more than they also admit. And I just, me just being able to be free to be myself, to express who I am, to do work that feels important to me and to have great relationships in my life. Like really, that's it. I mean, when you think about it, it's like what doing what you love and being with who you love. That's it. Wow. Even with more money, like you get, you get more freedom and more time with them and maybe some cooler experiences. But at the heart, it's really just the same stuff. I remember being at one of the dinners that we we, we were at. It was us and a number of people from New York Media Life. And mm-hmm. we were going around the table talking about, you know, what we, what we need help with. And one woman said that she had had a conversation with you <sighs> and learned that she needed to have more pleasure in her life. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you identify that? And and um, do you find that that's a recurring theme, especially I think in a busy and boisterous city like New York City, everyone's hustling and working. I mean, you on the one hand, you're like a hustler. How do you incorporate pleasure into a busy life that you're busy doing your career, your passion? Like what's what's a way to do it? I think that pleasure is definitely lacking because, and it's easy to identify in someone because you just, you can see it in their body language. You can see it in how they speak. You can see just the level of enthusiasm and joy they bring to any type of conversation. I mean, if someone's constantly on their phone, stressed out, talking about what they have to do next, I mean, you may as well not come along to an event. You know, you may as well kind of not be there. And so sometimes I say that to people. I'm like, you know what? If you're busy, it's cool. You don't have to come if you, if you're, you know, so engrossed in what it is you have to do with your email or whatever. Cause everybody's busy, right? And there's a lot of pressure to always be working, always be proving yourself. We always feel like we have something to prove, you know? It's like our, our ability to, you know, show how, how much we're producing and performing it kind of just, it, not only is it, 
irrational. It, it kind of, it's become a bit boring, hasn't it, funny? It's like when someone's like, I'm so busy. It's like, well, everyone, well, welcome we wear to like a-, a badge of honor, you know, yeah. oh, I'm so busy. but so boring. And I think we, we are, I, you know, I actually remember last winter I was on Instagram during the holidays and I just saw so many people having so much more fun than I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go, oh, I wish I was them. I said, that's it. Next time this year, if I'm still at home and bored, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going away, uh, you know, in the winter for a week. And I made I made the decision a month ago to book the, that plan and not feel sorry for myself again. Wonderful. <laughs> See, but that's you making like pleasure a priority. I also think that pleasure can just be infused in everyday life. I mean, ideally, your work brings you joy. But if yeah. not, I mean, sometimes you can just like have a coffee and like really taste it. You know, yes. You can, you can smell it. I mean, there's something very sensual about a really nice cup of coffee. I mean, what about when you, I mean, I wrote an article about this. You know, what about when you put on your scarf, that expensive scarf, right? That you put on, do you even feel it? How luxurious it feels? Or right, you just like right, grab it. Right. Smell like, the freaking roses. I yeah. think that's what you're saying. <laughs> yes. And smell I mean, the goddamn roses. Yeah. And you can do that. I mean, 500 times a day. No one's going to, I mean, people will just fall in love with you because they'll be like, what's she doing? That's so different. She looks so happy. And it's, you know, that's the thing about you, Susie. And I, I think that your happiness is contagious. I think just people who aren't watching you don't know you physically in person. Like you can tell Susie is a happy, energetic, positive person. And it's, I, I look forward to showing up somewhere. Maybe you're there because I know it's going to be a good, good experience. You just bring a lot of life everywhere you go. And that is contagious. And then I go home and I'm a better person to my husband. And hopefully that, you know, he's just happier too. It's just, you got to surround yourself with people who sometimes know what they're doing, know how to appreciate life, know how to smell the roses. They, It's a good reminder because we can definitely get in our own we can, you know, stick our heads in the sand and just like, you know, put our heads down and work, work, work. And yeah. And I think one thing that, um, the, uh, is a real misconception is that happy people is naivety, right? To be like, to be positive, it's leadership. It, it's much easier to be cynical. It's much easier to be heavy. Everyone can be cynical. Everybody can be negative. Everybody can have something mean to say. It, it takes some work to be lighter, right? You have to kind of work on yourself. You have to look at the world a certain way. You have to let things slide that other people wouldn't let slide. You use more muscles to smile. Right. <laughs> that is a fact. Right? And isn't it physically just, harder to smile? It is harder to smile. I mean, and it's it's easier sometimes too to just see what can go wrong and to worry and to read into things. So it I mean, it's but when you the way that I think about it, it's completely irrational to be happy. I mean, in your limited time here on earth, like what are you gonna do? Like sit and worry, sit and complain, worry about what she's doing, worry about what he said, worry about that text message. Like, no, like it's actually madness. It's, it's like insan- no. it's insanity to not be enjoying your life. So let's talk about oh, a financial win and a financial failure. Yes. Okay. Your best of. <laughs> okay. So best um, of, worst of. should we start with a failure? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I was married when I was very young, I was 19 and I married somebody who was completely incompatible with me financially. Completely. It was just a young, irrational, like kind of crazy, fun, I, whatever you want to call it, um, decision. And that was the biggest financial failure I've had because not only did I lose money while I was married, you know, divorce is expensive. Um, it was just an experience that was, you know, I mean, 
uh, enlightening because you know I learned a lot from it. But it's something you don't want to jump into a marriage with somebody who does not have the same values as you. So what does that mean? He had this. He had, he was different than you. And how did you? How soon did you discover it? Mm-hmm. So he had debt. I didn't know about it. He would love to spend. He had no really limits on his spending. He was very happy to accumulate more debt. He was happy to buy really expensive things that like we really couldn't afford. Um, and that's just not how I live like at all. It's completely against my code, but we didn't know each other that long before we got married. Right. So this is a bit of a naive decision. Right. Um, and that for me, it completely opened my eyes that even people like that existed. I didn't even know people spent money like that. Like happy to credit card stuff, happy to borrow money. I mean, I'm not the guy. I'm sorry. You know, it's usually the stories about the woman, you know, but then, but then I do hear when the men do, you know, uh, perform financial infidelity, as we call it, or mm-hmm. are spendaholics, mm-hmm. like it is of gargantuan size. Oh, yeah. It's not like a pair of shoes. It's like a yeah, car. No. A car. It's like a car and they or, or they were funding another relationship. Oh, right. On oh, another God. card or yeah, oh. it's I've I've heard some pretty crazy stories just of, of so much secrecy that you know, you think it's just a, a credit card you don't know about or like $10,000 debt that you didn't know about, but there's probably a lot more going on behind the scenes and um, a lot more going on behind the scenes. And you know what? That's why it's so important to really know who you're marrying and to be very upfront about everything. What debt do you have? How much are you on, on, on student loans? What, you know, what, what's your goal for this? When do you want to buy or do you want to rent? Having that like all out, 100% out clean, good and bad out there. Um, and I certainly did not do that <laughs> at all. So that was probably my biggest financial failure in terms of uh, the biggest learning experience. Um, and you know, it, but you know, as you know, funny, it's like every bad experience leads you somewhere. There are like no bad roads to anywhere, right? Hmm. Well, no, <laughs> maybe there are bad roads. I mean, not to get too dark, but yeah, people have definitely like fallen off cliffs and <laughs> mm, oh man, <laughs> but no, 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 you're right. Like, I guess uh, let's take that out of the podcast. <laughs> I'll take that. We <laughs> were doing so well, and then I had to insert some really tragic stuff. Um, it's just where I go sometimes. <laughs> no, I know, but it's also real. I mean, but I, no, truly, I didn't know people could spend money like that. I, I, I had never experienced that. I didn't know anyone who gambled. I didn't know any of that. So I was really a baby. Yikes. Did he at least see where he was wrong? And is he better off now? I I hope he's learned his lesson. I have no idea, but I really hope so. I really hope so. I think when it comes to money, I mean, you're the expert here. I think I'm not sure if people have unique money personalities that you can't change, but there has to be a limit even on an extreme personality on what someone can do just for survival. (sighs) I mean, like our vices, money, how we manage money sometimes, you know, when we do it poorly, I think can be a vice and sometimes yeah. vices are addicting just like smoking and drug use like there is something called financial abuse mm-hmm. money abuse shopaholic people like that is real and that needs to be tamed and managed and it has to be conscious it doesn't just go away because you decide one day you don't want to do it right but right. you have to work at it and it could creep back in your life so you have to be really just make it priority mm-hmm. um what would be your advice for any ladies out there that are considering divorcing mm-hmm. a woman that I know just announced on Facebook, she's getting a divorce. I don't know about doing that. That's mm-hmm. another conversation, but mm-hmm. it's top of mind mm-hmm. um, for some women out there who are like, I'm not happy and I want to get a divorce, but what are some financial steps they should take before they tell their partner? I want out. 
I think you have to really take an inventory of what you have, like what what your assets are, what you have in the bank, what is owed, because I mean, it's different in every country, but from what I know about this country, I mean, everything's shared, especially if you live in New York. So you have to really make an analysis and have it very clear what you have, what you don't have, and what your plan of action is. Because typically in life, the person who has an agenda or a plan gets to lead the way if the other people don't or the other person in a relationship or a group doesn't have a plan or an agenda. So I would certainly just recommend getting extremely clear and then coming up with a fair and reasonable plan of action quickly. I think two people can kind of leave decisions are imminent for a long time because they're messy and they're painful. And that just, that, that just makes things worse. It's great to deal with problems quickly and swiftly. So if you need to really, agree, yeah, like the, it's a bandaid thing and you have to just rip it off and like, and deal with it. It's messy and awful and hard, but once it's over, then you're kind of home free and then your money's your own. And then everything is up to you. Yes. Yeah. Just take the bandaid off and mm-hmm. like you did, just talk to your headmaster about the, the crappy school lunch thing. It's yes. hard conversation when you're 11, but yeah. people's lives within a meeting. That's it. Sometimes it just takes like one person to, to make a decision, to speak up and just to have some clarity and a solution. All right. Last but not least, I'm Susie Moore. I'm so money because. I'm so money because I believe that money is energy and I have lots of energy. (laughs) An abundance of energy. That's right. (laughs) Susie, thank you so, so much. And I look forward to seeing you again in the neighborhood, in the New York neighborhood. This is mega, mega fun. Thanks so much to Susie Moore for joining us. To learn more about Susie's Side Hustle Academy, go to SideHustlePrepSchool.com forward slash Farnoosh or go to Susie-Moore.com. Susie's also on Twitter at Susie Moore. If you missed any of this, just hop over to SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can click on Ask Farnoosh as well to send me a question for the Friday episodes. All right, good luck with your side hustle and I hope your day is so money. So money.